Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. As members of the gambling media, we get some strange and colorful press releases hitting our email inboxes. And mm-hmm. let's start this week's show with one we received recently, John. It was from a company called Tushy telling us about a product called the Tushy Ace, an electric bidet seat, which it would be giving away for free if someone at the World Series of Poker hit a royal flush. Sometimes that's all it takes, the word flush and the state-of-the-art bathroom product, and boom, you're sending a PR email to the whole gambling media sphere. And the email included this sentence, among others, Tushy is upping the ante with a free bidet seat that will make you excited to splash the pot every time you've got deuces. John, give me your assessment. Uh, Good and creative PR work, crude and lame PR work, or somewhere in between? Uh, I'm honored to tackle this one, I I guess. Um, (laughs) Look, the Royal Flush and the Bidet, I'm wincing, but only a little bit. That's pretty good. Uh, The Deuces, that's a bridge too far. Just, yeah, don't don't do that. Um, Meanwhile, at first I was thinking there, you know, are so many thousands of hands at World Series of Poker that surely there would be one or two of these, right? But then I realized how often hands are folded, particularly if the seeds of a potential royal flush were there, and you don't have a seed, uh, you know, with your cards to add to it. So, Poker Man, any chance there was one or will be one of these? So I guess it depends on whether it's limited to Hold'em events. Um, there still, there still is bound to be one uh, at some point over the course of all the weeks of the World Series. But especially if you open it up to like Omaha, where you get four starting cards and thus have a higher chance of hitting a Royal Flush somewhere along the line. Mm. Um, yeah, there. I would bet there has been a Royal Flush in some game at some table already. So uh, I don't know whether free bidet seats have been handed out just yet, though. Um, but will you be looking for one if there is one? You'll be, <laughs> be sent to uh, without without going into too much detail on my bathroom habits, I'll say I've never <laughs> used a bidet and I'm not yeah. terribly interested in, in trying one out. But yeah, I guess if one showed up at the door for free. I'm, I might give it a whirl. I don't know. I'm I'm so about speak, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'm about as tolerant of bathroom humor as anyone generally. But I, I, reading this press release definitely made me cringe uh, a little bit. But uh, but it did serve as a as a reminder for us here at Gamble On that we are about two weeks into the World Series of Poker and uh, might be worth uh, just mentioning a few of the big stories uh, so far. They include. One wholly inappropriate Phil Hellmuth blow up for which he has mm. attempted to apologize, apologize on social media, uh, including saying that he uh, embarrassed his parents uh, with that one and he's going to try and be better. Um, Anthony Zeno winning his third WSOP bracelet to go along with three WPT titles, making him the first ever to win three of each. Uh, Nate Silver finishing runner up for a bracelet. Um, oh. Only one male entrant being a big enough jerk to enter the ladies event. I think that's uh, slightly below the average number of male jerks who usually enter that thing. Um, and uh, the field size is generally being down from 2019 so far. Uh, so there's your WSOP update. Thank you to Tushy Ace for reminding me to talk about it on the pod. Yeah, I'll just add that uh, I question whether my grandparents had working toilets and i'm sure my great grandparents (laughs) from ireland did not so uh yeah i'm I'm not quite ready to go into this new phase but hey not there's anything wrong with that (laughs) right all right all right let's uh change the subject and say thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 164 of gamble on if you missed any of our previous 163 episodes They're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe, rate, and review. If we get enough five-star ratings, we promise never to say the word tushy on the podcast again. Uh, I'm not going to say it again anyway, but uh, yeah, sure. We'll go with that. Uh, Coming up a little later in the show, I'm going to be joined by one of the five 2021 inductees to the Sports Betting Hall of Fame. It's Joe Brennan Jr. 
Yeah, no relation. Uh, it's a little bit of an inside joke. We've been exchanging for a dozen years or so. <laughs> I always put the disclaimer in stories where I'd quote him or anybody else with the last name of Brennan. And then Joe would pretend to be insulted. At least I think <laughs> he was pretending, but that was part of the bit, really. So we've had a good time with that. So we're going to ask Joe about his role in the origins of gaming legalization expansion. How many states will legalize sports betting or unlike casino in the next several years? Uh, some of his highs and lows as a lifetime Philadelphia sports fan. But first, it's been an almost too busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Let's start the news segment in Florida, where we're probably closing in on the launch of legal sports betting in some form, and there's been a slew of news surrounding that murky situation. You wrote for Sports Handle, John, about the legal side of things, and I'll try to explain this clearly and succinctly, but it's tough because it feels like it's all double negatives. Um, But basically, there's a lawsuit against the U.S. Department of the Interior for not rejecting the Florida sports betting compact between the state and the Seminole tribe. And now federal attorneys are seeking dismissal of that lawsuit. Uh, Long story short, the tribe and Florida want sports betting to launch next month, but others are seeking to delay that and they're playing tug of war via court filings. On that topic, Matt Rybaltowski reported from G2E a few days ago about what Seminole Gaming CEO Jim Allen had to say on the subject, and he essentially said that he expects not to be too slowed down by all the legal obstacles. And lastly, as it relates to Florida sports betting, petitioners seeking signatures related to sports gambling ballot proposals have been accused of harassing Florida International University students to get them to sign the petition, although it's unclear whether those petitioners represent the political action committee financed by DraftKings and FanDuel, the Seminoles and their compact, or both. John, lots going on here. What's the upshot of all this? Do you think retail sports betting will launch in the next several weeks and will a mobile monopoly launch with it or be delayed? Yeah, I mean, we don't have 50 different uh, sagas in uh, sports betting uh, anymore, but we have dozens. And this is the best one, to be honest with you. It's probably the best one of the year. So I'll elaborate a bit and try and uh, lay this out. You know, I ran into a couple of Florida residents out in Las Vegas at the Global Gaming Expo uh, last week who buttonholed me on this very topic. So you, dear subscriber, you get the same analysis while you're driving, walking, hiking, cooking, or just being a couch potato. <laughs> and now, the multiple lawsuits have blurred the story here quite a bit. Look, nobody at all is claiming that the state and the Seminoles can't reach a deal, as they did, to bring legal sports betting to the tribe's casinos. That is happening, and I would not be surprised if it hits them the new November 15th proposed launch. That's separate as one thing. Then the other larger part, whether the Seminoles can oversee mobile sports betting across the state, granted with three or four partners that could include some huge sports betting operators that bite the bullet and take pennies on a dollar, that part still seems unworkable to me. I don't see how a federal judge can somehow ignore the precedents that have found that tribal compacts only apply on tribal lands. In this case, meaning the casinos, adjacent hotel, maybe a golf course, if that's part of the reservation too. But fair or not, that's as far as the law has ever taken a tribe. So I expect the D.C. federal court to agree to punt that case down to Florida to merge with the Sunshine State version, which will be a relief to those of us following this, at least. Um, Now, the plaintiffs are suing the U.S. Department of the Interior in D.C. for not voiding the compact in this respect, while they're suing Florida Governor uh, DeSantis down there for signing the compact in the first place. But the complaints and desired remedies are the same. So these need to be merged. Now, I don't see either court granting summary judgment for the government, which leaves the question of a temporary injunction. I'm not a lawyer, even after all these years of reading court filings, but the feds made an interesting case that preserving the status quo here actually means not stopping the already approved compact from launching, not stopping it at all. So I'm stumped on that one. And also, I'm trying not to remember that a federal judge in New Jersey in 2014 absolutely agreed that, you know, with the NFL and the other leagues, that if a Jersey Shore racetrack called Monmouth Park was able to offer Las Vegas style sports betting for two to four weeks at the time the judge needed to figure out if a permanent injunction was the right move, well, that would likely pretty much be the end of professional sports as we know it in the U.S. I believe that's what the kids later call a freezing cold take, <laughs> given where we are today. <laughs> yeah. All right. That was uh, all very well explained. Uh, you helped uh, clarify a few things for me. And uh, I don't think I have a whole lot to add. I am not Dan Wallach or any other kind of lawyer. So uh, <laughs> I don't have too many useful insights on, on the legal side of things. I do want to talk about the 
alleged harassment for signatures. Um, the Florida Education Champions Group claims it's not them. They, they weren't seeking signatures at FIU during the time frame in question, they, they say. Um, the Seminole side says it isn't them either. So I'm not sure exactly who it is. The accusations of harassment include using vulgar language towards students who don't sign the petition, verbal sexual harassment in at least one case, and interrupting classes to try to obtain signatures. And the petitioners reportedly said they were being paid per signature, which is apparently illegal in Florida, um, but uh, would help explain why they're being so aggressive in pursuit of signatures. This is all a, a terrible look for these gambling ballot initiatives and also a pretty lousy look for how our government works as it's not best law wins, it's law with the most money behind it wins. Uh, I, I guess it's naive to even think for a moment that it would be any other way, but just depressing when you see it in action here. Do you have enough money to pay enough people to harass enough people into signing? Not a great system. Well, yeah, I mean, there's an old line about power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the amount of money involved to be made in Florida on sports betting is massive. And this is a little warning to uh, California and Texas, frankly, uh, in that uh, that's not going to be pretty either. There's just too much money to be made. Everybody wants to get rich. You know, I don't trust anybody in terms of who might be involved in this or not. I don't I, I can't think of one possible group and say, oh, well, those guys would never, absolutely never get involved with that. That would be something beyond the pale for them. Um, like I said, the money to be made here is so huge that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed as you are, but I'm maybe I'm a little less surprised. Uh, all right. Moving north one state from Florida, we go next to Georgia, where efforts to legalize sports betting stalled out back in March. But now there is renewed optimism, as our colleague Jill Dorson reported on TN Bets. The General Assembly goes into session on January 10th, 2022. Legislators can begin pre-filing bills in November. And a sports betting bill is apparently coming with Representative Ron Stevens saying it looks more encouraging than ever. Uh, they're not starting from scratch. Many of the details, such as tax rates, were already agreed upon during the previous efforts. There's still some debate over whether to allow wagering on college sports, not just in-state college sports, but any college sports. Uh, John, what would it mean if Georgia, uh, like neighboring Tennessee, a state without casinos, legalizes? And do you think the arrival of sports betting in Florida makes a difference in pushing Georgia across the finish line? Well, you, you had a Florida Georgia line country music group reference dangling on your fingertips there, <laughs> but you dropped the ball at the goal line, Eric. I think, that, I think that says a little bit about my uh, interest in and knowledge of country music. Yeah, they're, they're, they're big. Just trust me, they're big Florida <laughs> okay. Georgia line. Anyway, so now the old, our neighbors are doing it, so let's hurry and copy them. That's had a mixed result with sports betting compared with the casino expansion in the 1990s, which absolutely went that route. You know, currently just ask an Ohio resident, and if Florida only gets sports betting at Seminole casino site, as is a possibility, then that means nothing to Georgia. So right. anyway, Georgia still strikes me as a state where an opponent here playing the inertia card can drag this out. There's a lot more important stuff going on. College football just ended when they get resume in January. What's the hurry and all that. So, you know, the wrinkle of not offering betting, though, on any college sports, that's a beauty, I must say. You know, again, you know, step one doesn't strike me as odd at all. In a perfect world, nobody gambles on the athletic exploits of teenagers. Okay, it's SEC territory, so they're 20-somethings as freshmen. Still, they're young people and they're amateurs. And, but nobody's taken these lawmakers, apparently, to step two. Having to visit a lucrative small-town tavern or a big city bar, mm -hmm. see just how much money changes hands every football weekend already. You can't catch all the bookies. You don't have enough jail space to hold them anyway. So maybe consumer protection, a little walking around tax money for the Treasury, not a terrible idea. Uh, but they're not th through all the steps here yet, clearly. Yeah, I I'm right with you on all that. I mean, I can't really imagine Georgia not allowing betting on college sports by the time this is hashed out. Um, the, you know, the one thing is that this NIL stuff has changed since this was first proposed. College athletes can make some money now and are therefore less theoretically vulnerable to bribery from sports betting types. Yeah. Although, uh, again, uh, basically what you were just saying, when sports betting is legal and regulated, it makes it much harder for anyone to get away with any form of match fixing because there are records of all the bets, big or small. Um, so, yeah, m my guess is college betting will be allowed, probably even in-state college betting by the time that they get this uh, all sorted out. Um, as for the, the Florida factor, um, 
it could have an impact. I mean, Georgia has five border states plus a whole lot of middle that isn't a short drive from any borders. Um, Georgia won't be surrounded by legal online betting all, anytime all that soon. Alabama and South Carolina aren't all that close, but Florida would be significant and sports betting is going to launch there in some form soon. But as you said, until there's mobile, it's not drawing Georgia border customers. Add it all up, though, and uh, I think you can count me among those who expect Georgia to indeed get a constitutional amendment on the November 2022 ballot. I am uh, I, I am predicting that there is some forward momentum next year on this. All right, I'll, I'll take the under on that, but maybe 2023, 2024. It will happen, but I, I can see them uh, punting this into the next year. Okay. All right. So uh, right. <laughs> yes. Punting. Yes. Well done. All right. Um, for our third and final news story this week, let's touch on a topic that figures to be our lead story next week, September sports betting handle. Next week, we'll have New Jersey and its expected billion dollar plus handle. We'll have Pennsylvania. We'll have other major states all possibly setting records during the first month of football season. And what we have this week is two states that both did indeed set handle records. In Iowa, the state's previous handle record of $161.4 million was topped by more than 30% as handle came in at $210.4 million, although hold was remarkably low at just 2.72%. And in Indiana, a record was set, but not by much. The state secured $355.4 million in handle, slightly surpassing January's $348.2 million. In Indiana, the sports books win rate was very good, 9.53%. We'll spend more time on this topic next week, I'm sure. But John, any surprises in these numbers? And would you expect every single legal sports betting state will set a new handle record in September? Yeah, I think everybody needs to brace themselves for Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern time. The New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement announces that $1 billion was wagered in September in New Jersey. It's going to happen for sure. They'll do it again in October and November and December. After that, you know, New York should have mobile betting going by next spring. They claim the Super Bowl, but I don't buy that, but still next spring. And if that shops $200 million off the top of the New Jersey pie from those Hudson River crossers currently, then uh, it could be a while before the Garden State reaches those heights again. And then, yeah, Pennsylvania, Illinois, maybe Michigan, eventually New York. You know, those of us who live in New Jersey, uh, we should enjoy the penthouse view for the rest of 2021 because next year it could be a real dogfight in the handle battle. Um, now, will every state be up and handle in September? That's a good question. I would think so, but that Indiana number does give me pause. I'm not sure what happened there. Yeah, I I had the same thought on that, that because of that Indiana number, you know, I can't think of a specific state that I would expect not to set a handle record in September, but saying they all will, that's a pretty big parlay bet. Uh, So so you have to figure someone lets us down. Maybe a state without mobile yet, like New York or something, doesn't set its own record in September, possibly. I don't know. Um, But I, I expect most states with mobile will look more like Iowa percentage wise, up about 30 percent over their biggest month ever, which in New Jersey would mean about 1.3 billion. Uh, and uh, so I, I think that's a, a reasonable line. I, it should be an interesting over underline from Captain Jack and Alfonso to see what they come out with. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, this this news item is basically just a brief appetizer for next week's September sure. handle slash revenue main course. But I'm going to put my final prediction number for New Jersey out there now. I'll go 1.24 billion in handle. Put me on the books for that number. What, what do you think of that, John? Uh, it seems pretty good. I, I, I do want to see the professional Captain Jack Alfonso line, but uh, okay. I think yours is a pretty good amateur effort. If, if they're listening and they steal my number as their line, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I better get some credit. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Bet the over on 1.5 middle-aged East Coast Jay Brennan's appearing on this week's podcast. Go ahead and cash that winning ticket. We are joined now by one of this year's five new inductees to the Sports Betting Hall of Fame, the former chair of IMEGA and one of the people who was instrumental in the eventual legalization of sports betting, Joe Brennan Jr. Joe, welcome to Gamble On. Great to be with you guys. Um, so congratulations, of course, on the upcoming Hall of Fame induction. Uh, c- can you walk us through 
the moment of, of finding out you were going to be an inductee and how meaningful is this to you? Uh, as far as the second part of your question first, as far as how meaningful is, I, it's great. Uh, you know, this, this industry's taken off so quickly, but the, to get there was kind of a 10 year war of attrition, uh, which we didn't win many battles, but we won the last one. That's what really matters. Uh, <laughs> so in that, I mean, it's great to be in there with folks like, you know, I mean, with crazy as a fox senator ray lesniak and some of the others I, I guess we're in the builders category then when i look across and i see like some of the guys like you know jimmy vaccaro and art man terrace and folks like that who've actually done the sports book like uh for the last you know 40 years in america you know now, now i know how, how those guys feel to share the stage with like a pudgy white guy uh <laughs> getting the same honor but it was great. I found out uh, actually via email. Um, and it was funny. Sue Schneider uh, contacted me on the behalf of SBC. And Sue and I go way back to the beginning. As a matter of fact, she had a huge role in the beginning just in networking uh, so that we could gather support for this. So it was great to, to hear from her. But she sent it to an email address I almost never use these days. Ah. And I just, I mean, it was just one of those days where like, I just happened to be looking for something. I was like, what's this from Sue? And I was like, Hey, congratulations. You're in the hall of fame. And, and I, this is the immediate reaction I have. I'm like, okay, she just sent it an hour ago. If I reply like right now, does that seem too eager? Is it like, <laughs> is, is there like a thin interval, you know, like when you get a girl's phone number at a bar or something like that, like how long should I wait? So, you know, after telling my wife and my friends and everything like that, I think I waited 24 hours and then rather coolly like oh well thank you so much for this honor of course i'll accept <laughs> right so yeah just another hall of fame asking just me to be a member yeah. You know, yeah and any any particular expectations for what the induction will be like you bring in a lot of family in to witness it or or yeah I'm, I'm just my my wife has never in all this time been to any kind of industry function and that's willful i mean we've all seen the kind of people who are in this industry and you probably want to protect your loved ones too right but i am going to bring my wife um if only because i it, really if it wasn't for her uh when i first started thinking about kicking the ball off in this in new jersey all the way back in december of 2008 like she's a smart one in the family she's the ivy league educated one like and in all that time she never expressed any doubt. Whereas me, I was like, I don't know, maybe I, I don't know, should be doing something else. Right. And it really, if it wasn't for my wife and her, maybe if she had doubts, at least she was smart enough not to voice them to me. <laughs> but if it wasn't for her support, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have persevered that long. Uh, and who knows how that might've affected events or anything, but I really do want to thank her. In front of as far as the rest of my family, ah, you know, <laughs> they're all probably wondering, like, well, God, how good of a Hall of Fame could it be if you're in it, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah Joe, let's go back about we go back probably 12, 13 years on this, but honestly, it's all been a blur. I mean, there was PASPA and uh, UIGEA and uh, IMEGA and uh, poker somehow. I, what, uh, how did you all get into this and how did it go from there? Well, first, I'm sure John would love me to state this at the outset. We are not related. That's true. <laughs> well, the Hall of Fame thing, I was kind of gonna, I was kind of playing it down at this point. Yeah. Well, now you know, I'm not so I was, was going to say, I mean, I know we were supposed to compare notes this past weekend at the family reunion. <laughs> our, our continued fame, well, we're not related kind of thing, but uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and interestingly, you mentioned all the laws. Today, apparently, is the 15th anniversary of UG. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. a, a law that stuck to my shoe like gum for so long, so many memories. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it's funny, like, when I think about it, like, uh, going back, and all this stuff is uh, originally my primary interest was in sports betting. Uh, and that went all the way back to when I worked at AOL, there's an ancient name, uh, <laughs> Web 1.0. Uh, and I was on the strategy team there and one of the things that we were told to do was like hey look uh to grow the business 
what are some things, what are some assets that we have right now that can be leveraged in different ways to, to find incremental lines of business? And, uh, you know, AOL had a UK division and a Europe division. And, uh, you know, obviously sports betting and online gambling was already something that was, you know, back in 2002 or so was gaining attention. And I'm like, I said, well, why don't we get into the online sports betting business or the online gaming business? And I reported up through to a guy that you guys have heard of, Ted Leontis, at the time he yeah. was chairman. And what was interesting is <laughs> when you consider what his holdings are today, Sport Radar, DraftKings, uh, at the time he came back, like, well, Ted doesn't think that's a very good idea to pursue right now. <laughs> so, like that guy owes me a cup of coffee one of these days on that. Um, but, you know, that the interest in the sector continued after I left AOL in 2005. And, you know, uh, John mentioned Omega. Uh, you know, that was basically a group of folks. It was kind of a virtual kitchen cabinet of folks who worked at AOL and MSN and Yahoo and a bunch of other ancient names that most people don't really worry about nowadays. And it was more along the lines of, hey, there should be this notion of digital civil liberties that if there's something that you can do legally offline, uh, you should be able to do it legally online. And, uh, you know, that's how we, we, we pursued a, a number of different avenues. Actually, the first thing that we ever did was online dating because at the time there was a movement. Yeah. I remember testifying in like a Michigan state uh, legislative hearing regarding one uh, Michigan State Senator and introduced legislation to require criminal background checks for people who wanted to go on Match.com uh, and things like that. Uh, and his notion was like, well, somebody's going to get killed one of these days. I'm like, well, then they better close down all the bars or <laughs> because there's far more people uh, who meet there than, than that. So the online gaming just became another piece because of that 2006 law, UGA, and it just kind of evolved from there. Not not to go down, uh, this would take us down a serious side rabbit hole, but I actually met my wife uh, in the early days of online dating, 2003. Not too many people were doing it yet, but uh, by around that time, it was starting to gather steam, but uh, we did not get thorough background checks on each other. Uh, it's amazing, that. like, how easy you guys have it. It's like, <laughs> like you're with me here, John. Like, the, the days of, like, going, standing in the corner of some bar or some dance or party, you know, and nervously waiting for somebody who might be compatible to look at you I mean, all gone you guys just certain things younger generations just have no appreciation for <laughs> well i'm not i'm not that much younger i did i i went through all that in the 90s and i stunk at it which was why online well, dating 90s, came along to save really, me <laughs> the 90s that's really ancient history <laughs> <laughs> all right i guess i can't i can't one-up you in terms of uh you know age and how far back we go but uh let me let me shift to a different type of question here uh we'll do uh some rapid fire lightning round style i know podcasts are sort of uh, supposed to be long form but we'll go for oh, like uh 15 20 second type answers on, on some of these first off all-time favorite philly sports moment i'd say it's a probably a tie between the miracle at the meadowlands and then the 1980 nfc championship when the eagles beat the cowboys at home uh to go to the super bowl um the, the wilbert montgomery touchdown is just iconic but maybe a moment that kind of maybe got the whole ball rolling for me here was after the game uh, when they were doing the post-game show, it was Brent Musburger, now a VEASAN, and Jimmy the Greek was on. Jimmy the Greek ran his mouth so much pregame about how the Eagles were no match for the Cowboys and blah, blah, blah. And as they were sitting there post-game and they were talking, somebody in the stands, probably at the 700 level, threw a snowball at Jimmy the Greek and hit him in the chest and it scared him so much he didn't say anything in the entire post game. So, yeah, whoever threw that snowball should be going into the Philadelphia Sports Hall. <laughs> there you go. All right. Now the flip side. All-time least favorite or most painful Philly sports moment. I, you know, it's, it's uh, the two, the end of the 2011 Phillies season. Mm. Uh, and not it's not when, uh, when they lost that final game to St. Louis, maybe it was more of the actual last game of the regular season, uh, the 162nd game 
where they're like, well, wait a second. If we win this game, it'll set a record, franchise record for number of wins in a season. Plus, Charlie gets the record for most wins by a Phillies manager. But if they win that game, they wind up getting St. Louis in the first round of the playoffs. And St. Louis was the only National League team that had a winning record against them. Uh, so showing short-sightedness, they went ahead and they won that game. And they draw St. Louis and they, and then they lose that, uh, that series to St. Louis, you know, first round of the playoffs. And that was it. That's the end of the run. And the Phillies haven't been back to the playoffs since. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, switching to uh, a slightly different type of uh, question. All-time greatest gambling win that you've experienced? Uh, <laughs> uh, it was uh, when Green Bay beat uh, Pittsburgh in the Super Bowl. Uh, this last time, uh, the last time I can't remember which Super Bowl, like 2012 or so. So yeah, I was at 11. Yeah. I was at a Super Bowl party where the guy who I was sitting next to when I was out in Vegas, the guy who I was seated next to at the watch party had bet something like $5 million on uh, Pittsburgh. Mm. And I didn't bet anywhere near that amount. <laughs> on Green Bay. And the only reason I bet Green Bay is because my wife is from the Green Bay area. And I'm like, all right, I'll make an honor bet on her behalf and blah, blah, blah. So as the game was going on, I kept winning all of these Green Bay bets, props and everything. And my wife kept calling me. Meanwhile, the guy next to me was practically on fire. And I was just kind of like, <laughs> just trying to like sit on my hands. Like, right. okay, don't celebrate. You're liable to wind up in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then uh, all time worst gambling loss. I'm sure it's not, it didn't cost you 5 million, whatever it was. No, I would say it was the first time I lost a bet. And that would go all the way back to fourth grade okay. at Holy Angels School the first time I ever played one of the Sunday tickets. So uh, the Sunday parlay tickets, I, so a Catholic grade school with its own school bookie. I think I bet a quarter, <laughs> which was my milk money for that week, uh, which shows you how much milk cost back in the day. Um, so not only did I lose, I drank water all that week, which really sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they always say it's bet. If you bet, it's better to lose your first bet than to win it because at least it properly orients you towards the realities of this maybe if i had won that one yeah i would have had paid for my milk for weeks but you know then again maybe i'd be on the wrong side of the counter in this business <laughs> right okay and last one of these lightning round questions uh back to philly sports set a line how many games does ben simmons play for the sixers this season <laughs> i don't know i <laughs> I'm not good at setting lines. I originally told my wife when she asked, like, how long is it going to take to do this sports legalization thing? I said, three years tops. <laughs> I was only off by seven. So but if I got to give a line here, I'll say 22 and a half. Um, but I mean, there's so many ways that prop could die. Like how many games is he going to fake being like not right, not in shape, you know, not able to play, not available, all that. Who knows? 22 yeah. and a half. That's my call. All right. Yeah. A lot of variables in that one, but that's, that is a tough line though. Not bad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, I got to admit my uh, Catholic uh, grammar school, we didn't get the uh, NFL tickets till about seventh grade. So that I recall. So <laughs> I was a little sheltered apparently. Well, you know, Philly, we're just like the capital yeah. of degeneracy when it comes to sports betting. I mean, Billy Walters himself once told me, is like, do you know that Philly has more bookies than any other city in America? And I was like, well, he would be the expert at it, wouldn't he? <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in Rockland County, just outside of uh, New York City, and uh, a lot of uh, expats uh, live there, shall we say. They've been relocated uh, for various yeah. reasons, and perhaps <laughs> under different names at times also. But uh, I want to ask you, well, we were both uh, at uh, Global Gaming Expo in Las Vegas last week, and I guess we missed each other, but uh, I'm sure you talked to a million people, and I've known you to be a little bit of a contrarian. So, you know, this idea that, well, in three to five years, up to 48 states are going to have sports betting, but not Utah and Hawaii, and then online casino will be slower but give it five to 10 years and then everybody will have it. And then, um, so I'm wondering if, if you are sticking to that script that everyone else seems to have. And even if you are, uh, I don't think anybody has a script about esports. That's going to be a billion dollar gambling business any second now. So any of those three topics you want to tackle, feel free. So on uh, the spread of sports betting, I don't think you'll have 48 states here within, let's say like the next three years or so. Mm -hmm. 
Um, all you have to do is look at what's facing the big states right now. Yeah. Uh, set aside New York, which is a hot mess. Legislatively. <laughs> um, but then you look at Florida, Texas, and California. Uh, you know, yes, Florida, they have the compact signed with the governor, but just today uh, there was movement as far as uh, move, moving the, um, the federal suit uh, into the Eastern District of Florida from the DC court from where it was filed. Uh, so that means, well, it wasn't dismissed. So it's going to have some live action on that. Um, and I'm really interested to see where that one goes. Uh, in Texas, between the part-time legislature, a really significant um, evangelical movement, which is pointedly against it. And then also, frankly, you know, Texas legislators have come right out. I think it was the lieutenant governor who said, like, look, there's no money in this as far as we're concerned. Like the amount of money that we would that's proposed that Texas would glean from this would pay for half of one day of the Texas government budget. Uh, and then you look at California and there, you know, tribal gaming has said, look, we may get the sports betting, but it's going to be on our terms. And it's five to 10 years before we have mobile and online, it's going to be a retail thing. And I think in that you also see kind of the seeds of what may be coming over the course of the next two years, which is all the low hanging fruit for states that would have adopted it are mainly states where it, the, the gaming concerns are, com, are commercial gaming, not tribal gaming. Uh, and, you know, tribal gaming is 45% of the country's uh, casino gambling marketplace. And as you move into these other states, I think it's, you're going to see local concerns kind of trump convenience, maybe. Uh, there's still a lot of post-COVID recovery that's going to need to happen. And the brick and mortar casinos uh, put so much more money into the state budget than what's projected from online and mobile. Uh, you can see how it would be difficult to move states that want to first make sure that their brick and mortar industry recovers, particularly in tribal, tribal gaming states where, you know, maybe the, the, the casinos are owned by, or, or the owners of the casino may only have one or two, like they're very localized operations uh, before they start seeding any kind of their local gaming market to these national brands that are just going to come in and maybe run a few commercials <laughs> on local television. Uh, so I'm, I'm not as, I don't believe that it's going to spread like wildfire over the next couple of years and nearly blanket the United States online gaming I'm still surprised. And, and, you know, John, we passed online gaming in New Jersey, what back in 2013 is when the market yes. launched. And I'm still surprised at how little it has spread. And I think that's an indicator of just what you're going to run into when you start moving out there uh, across the country that even though online gaming did so well during COVID of keeping money, particularly in New Jersey, keeping money coming into the casino operations, it's still still perceived as being uh, cannibalistic to the current business. And as a result, you know, the local, local uh, gaming contenders are going to say like, look, we got, we got to recover. We got to take care of our operation first before we start looking at any of that other stuff. And then as far as esports, the difficulty that I think you have with esports is, is there's, I haven't seen too many uh, products out there that really kind of approximate the gaming culture. And which I'll be the first one to say, I am not that. I mean, the last video game that I played with any level of enthusiasm was Half-Life 2, which I think goes back to the Bush administration. <laughs> the first so, one, <laughs> so, so the, the combination, there's a you know, variety of factors on the operating side, you know, the fragmentation uh, and poor quality of the data that's available for making the markets makes it very difficult. Um, in offering really what's a event betting. So betting like team liquid versus team fanatic, you know, who's going to win. That's not nearly as interesting to people who are gamers uh, as some of the stuff that, you know, the, you know, between like the ladders and pyramids and the achievements and, and things like that. I think gaming has to go back to the drawing board and say, how do we come up with an experience that is not quite so foreign 
to gamers themselves. And then the last part is, and then this is a tough one to get over is anywhere from two thirds to three quarters of the participants in esports are under the age of 18. So, and I'm not aware of any state, not even New Jersey that would, uh, would allow those kids uh, to do any kind of real money gaming. Fascinating stuff and a real pleasure to talk to you, Joe. Thanks so much for coming on Gamble On. And, and one more time, congratulations on the uh, upcoming Hall of Fame induction. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Joe. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll. And our losing streak continued, but the loss was much smaller than the previous couple of weeks, so it almost feels like a win. Uh, We only had three bets graded this week. I'll take them in order of financial success. Uh, Ole Miss minus six and a half points lost for us. They won the game, but only by one point, so that cost us $110. Michigan minus three was a push as they beat Nebraska 32-29. And my boxing bet on Frank Sanchez was a win, but I kept the bet size small, so just a $50 profit. That means we lost $60 last week. We are now $1,532 south of the border. We also have $960 on hold in futures bets, some of which are doing very nicely, but I'll say no more so as not to jinx them. Uh, So that leaves us $7,508 available to bet with this week, and you're up first, John. Yeah, we were up by a half a point with one second left and nine yards to go with Old Miss. And then as soon as the touchdown was scored, I panicked that Arkansas would go for two. And they did. I killed the bet even before the next snap. I didn't even watch it. I don't even care who won the game. We, <laughs> we died with that touchdown. Uh, and in Michigan, they were up 13-0 at the half. Yada, yada, yada. And fine, we'll take the push. Uh, so moving on, uh, finally, there's a PGA Tour event worth taking again this fall. Uh, CJ Cup in Las Vegas, of all places. Um, it features Morikawa, DJ, JT, Kepka, Rory, X-Man, and many other golfing superheroes. You know, I did a little line shopping, as I should have been doing for years, of course. And I found Morikawa at plus 16 to win on DraftKings. So 25 on that and also 50 on Morikawa at plus 180 to place in the top 10 in only a 78-player field, granting that it's a stellar one. Uh, I guess I should have mentioned that the course has never hosted a PGA Tour event before and that Morikawa just happens to be a member. Tremendous mm-hmm. iron play and a little local knowledge does the trick for us. Okay, I like that. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll shadow that in real life uh, with, a, <laughs> with a small wager. Um, so I took a look back at the master betting spreadsheet this week, John. Um, My assumption was that we had done poorly on season long win loss over unders across Mm -hmm. all sports, but I wanted to research and confirm and it is so much worse than I imagined. Yeah. Uh, now, we did get very unlucky in one spot. We were a near lock on the Knicks under two years ago, and the bet got voided because the season was shortened by COVID. And we also got a little unlucky with the Pirates this year, losing by a half game, yada, yada. Still, in terms of bets that have been graded on season-long win total over-unders, we are 4-13 and 13 for a total loss of $2,428. So if we had just never made any of these bets, we'd be up about a thousand bucks overall right now. Wow. Um, it doesn't mean we should never do it again, of course, but as this NBA season starts next week, I am declaring that I personally am not making any season long win total bets. Hmm. I figure let, let's see how my two NFL win total bets shake out and reassess maybe before the next baseball season. Um, that was kind of a long winded preamble to the NBA season long bet. I am making uh, not on a win total, but on a team's playoff fortunes. I love that I can get the Chicago bulls at plus plus one twenty to land in the play in tournament in terms of their win total over underline, they're projected seventh in the East. I'd personally project them for eighth. I I like the Nets, Bucks, Celtics, Sixers, Heat, Hawks, and Knicks more. They'd need to finish above two of those teams to land in the top six. And meanwhile, to miss the top 10, they'd need to be below one of the bottom five teams. And there's no logical way they're finishing below Orlando, Detroit, or Cleveland. And I doubt they're finishing below Toronto or Washington, probably not Charlotte either. To me, the Bulls are firmly in that middle eight, nine pack with the Pacers, Let's bet $150 to win 180 that they finish somewhere between seven and 10 in the East and are part of the play in tournament. 
Uh, that is interesting. And yeah, I'm not making a season long bet anymore either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I used to say that there, there's so much fun. You could buy a $10 ticket for, you know, a friend or a family member and just say, Hey, you know, you never know. And if it's season going well, you know, it's on the refrigerator mid season. You say, Hey, I forgot about that. We got them at 20 to one or 30 to one. And yeah, that's fun. But you know what? It never wins. It's just, uh, it's fun, but uh, yeah, it's not a good idea. So I'm staying away also now also on DraftKings, I found a favorable line on the Iowa Hawkeyes football team, giving only 11.5 points at home the middling Purdue yeah the big Iowa win over Penn State last week wasn't quite what it almost seemed to be I'll admit that but I thought I have to give 16 or 17 here so hmm. I'm going to count on a team that I hope doesn't struggle to breathe the rarefied air of being number two in the country so I'm wincing a little bit but the numbers is too good to resist all right. So is that a standard 110 to win 100 on Iowa? Yes. Okay. Um, all right. And I'll go uh, quick and dirty on my second bet. Give me under 45 points in Packers Bears on Sunday, 110 to win 100. The Bears have a crap offense, scoring an NFC worst 16.8 points per game and an excellent defense, allowing just 20 points per game. I'd expect the Packers to win this game about 23-20 or 24-17. Let's bet the under and then not watch it because it's no fun to root against points. Mm, great. And we finished the show with the fast five where John is starting to pull away. He went three, one, and one last week to improve to a very impressive 14, 10, and one. Whereas I nearly went 0 and five, but thankfully <laughs> the chargers rallied to get me to one and four on the week and an ugly 10 and 15 overall. I looked it up at this point last season, John had the exact same record. He has now 14, 10, and one, whereas I was nine and 16 last year. So even worse than this year's start. And I did rally to get over 500 and temporarily take a half game lead on John three weeks later. So I guess what I'm saying is I shouldn't give up hope yet, but I should at least think about giving up hope soon. Uh, anyway, John, you have a four and a half game lead and you're up first this week. I think I've had about the same record at the five weeks, all four years of our contest, but mm. I don't always keep it going clearly. So, but here goes anyway. Uh, this week I spent some time to go through the five game results and scores for every team playing this week. Mm. You know, I hope I found some teams that are better or worse than they appear on the surface when you really cut down to what, what is their peer group? Who are they? Who are they better than? Who are they not as good as? And all that kind of thing. I've only gotten pummeled twice all season, by the way, you know, against, against the Saints in week one and with them in week two. So I haven't been way off the charts and anything even when I lose the games. So here we go. Jaguars plus three and a half first Dolphins in London. This is two frogs flopping around a barrel, let's be honest. But <laughs> I can't find one game that tells me the Dolphins are better than the Jaguars. They're both terrible. Um, Rams at Giants minus nine and a half. Big line, but we already know Saquon Barkley's out. I have my doubts about Daniel Jones. Who knows with the receiving core and offensive line, too. I expect more bad news to come, so grab the nine and a half while you can, like today. Also, this is a restless fan base, staring at a 19-50 and 50 record in the last five years. Worse than the NFL, well, tied with their co-tenants, the Jets, which Giants fans really can't stand. So, you know, I know at the start of the season, the New York City media had a weird infatuation with unproven head coach Joe Judge. But if this turns bad early on Sunday, it could get ugly in the stands in the Meadowlands. Now, Lions plus three and a half versus Bengals because the opposite is true here. Lions fans are used to losing. Uh, and this team has fought like, well, Lions in recent weeks. You know, beware the winless team that still has spunk like this team does. And I'm expecting an outright upset there, actually. Mm. Uh, fourth, Vikings minus one and a half at Panthers. Another one where once you see the body of work for each, you realize the Vikings are better. Now, Christian McCaffrey is limited for Carolina in practice as of Thursday, and I have to make a call today and speculate that he's going to be out, but I would monitor that if you have the luxury of time. Finally, Cowboys minus three and a half at Patriots, the most lopsided line on the card uh, for me. The, the Pats' one claim to fame is playing the Buccaneers tough, but that's a home game in the rain and Belichick being inside Tom Brady's brain, of course. Otherwise, that is a bad, bad team, and it's hard for us to get our heads around it. The Cowboys are good. All right. Uh, so bad news for you. Uh, good news for me. Uh, we have no head to heads, but we have two shared picks. So you should be a little nervous, I guess. Um, yeah. So I think I've identified where I'm going wrong here, John. Uh, last week, you gave your picks in like 10 seconds each. It's called the fast five. You did it fast. You didn't feel compelled to justify your picks much. You just laid them out. Whereas 
I went out of my way to make picks that I could somehow explain and justify. And I got all long winded. That's silly. I, I'm just making my picks and I, I don't need a great reason other than I think that's the right side. So, so here goes with my new okay. approach. Sure. Um, I'll start with the Texans plus 10 at the Colts. Too many points for an average at best team like Indy. Uh, next, Chargers plus three in Baltimore. I'm a Chargers believer. They won for me last week. We have them at 40 to one to win the Super Bowl. Uh, the Ravens keep pulling games out of their ass. Give me the three points with LA. Next, one of our shared picks, the Lions plus three and a half at home against the Bengals. I get the hook here. The Lions are 0-5, but 3-2 and against the spread. I think they'll at least keep it close. And Burrow is kind of banged up. He's on voice rest mm. this week with an injured throat. You got to go against the guy on voice rest, right? <laughs> um, so I, I flirted with over-explaining that one. Let me get back to short and sweet. I'm with you on Rams minus 9.5 at the Giants. If the Giants were healthy, I wouldn't like this line, but they are far from healthy, as you said. Rams should blow them out. And lastly, Bills minus five and a half at Tennessee on Monday night. This is just a bet on talent and momentum and the team that looks to be the class of the NFL right now. And that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Joe Brennan. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. I'm going to go back to Las Vegas one more time with this one as I got back uh, late last week. This is my third Global Gaming Expo, and I think fifth trip to Las Vegas, and all of them have been working trips, which is pretty maddening, frankly. You know, <laughs> what I noticed most this time, though, was you know, I worked a long day on Monday and finished up just before the start of the Bucks Patriots game. You know, I walked all over the link area looking in vain for open bar stool. And as I kept failing, you know, still a 0.0 on the blood alcohol scale, I was reminded again how strange that city is walking around sober. It really is. You know, as the sun began to settle, more and more Caesars Palace showgirls came out to walk the streets on their way to wait i'm sober so i noticed that yeah wait not all these gals or even most of these gals are professional dancers these are just uh you know uh, dress ups but the tourists don't care a photo of them with a couple of performers is perfect for facebook they're not checking the uh bona fides of any of these gals <laughs> and you know i don't know if marijuana is legal in las vegas but it might as well be because uh you get free secondhand highs just available just wander around a little bit and to some extent it's unavoidable uh, and finally, again, you know, walking around uh, without a snootful, you, you notice that some locals are eyeing the visitors, you know, at dusk, profiling, really, you know, the cop shows would say. Like, on the Nature Channel, the zebras never mingle with the lions, right? But they're, you know, they're, let's just say that a huge portion of visitors to Las Vegas, they don't gamble at all, they say. But really, they may not lay down money at the casinos. But if you're wandering around those streets after dusk and with a snootful, as I mentioned, I disagree with the premise that you're not gambling. It's a strange, strange city. And with that, until next time, gamble on. Gamble on.